You are now listening to the Fat Fix Podcast with David Flowers, a show talking about all things fat loss and health for the general population. Helping people understand why they are in the position they're in right now, rather than just focusing on what they need to do. Your no-nonsense personal trainer friend that you can have access to in your pocket whenever you need some help, guidance or just to kick up the arse. Hello and welcome to the Fat Fix podcast for episode number 35. This week I was joined by coach Lucy Hendricks from the US. We discussed mental health in fitness, how mental health can impact your ability to go to the gym, the unrealistic expectations we put on ourselves and how being physically active isn't just about motivation and discipline. Lucy also went into details about her struggles with her own mental health and shared some really insightful stories. So without further ado, this is episode number 35 of the Fat Fix podcast, Mental Health Matters, featuring Lucy Hendricks. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the Fat Fix podcast. Hi, thank you for having me on, David. Just before we get underway, do you want to just give the listeners a quick rundown of who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Lucy Hendricks, and I own a gym in the U.S., Lexington, Kentucky. And I like to see my gym as this big support system that helps people through their health journey. And that's how I see my gym being. Um, A little rundown, like most trainers and personal trainers, I got in the industry because I wanted to get people healthy but I was only given two pieces of the puzzle piece of this whole thing called health. And it was exercise and eat less. So move more, eat less. But like most trainers, you realize that there's way more to health than, than just that. It's way more than just being able to find the motivation and the discipline to be consistent in the gym and then finding the motivation and discipline to be consistent with your eating. So I've really come to appreciate how past experiences, trauma, socioeconomic status, autoimmune disease, chronic pain, work schedule, family schedule, support system, mental illness, like the list goes on of all the things that influence people's ability to be healthy. Um, But as personal trainers, we don't have control of all that stuff, but we can support people through it. And that's what my gym is. It's a place where we support people through all the uncertainty and all the things that life throw at them, and we just help guide them. I think if it was that simple, none of us would have a job, would we, Lucy? I think me and you would be in a different career if it was as simple as, like you mentioned before, exercise, eat less, just have motivation, have determination, and get the job done. Um, Being a coach for nearly 10 years myself, I can hand on heart say it is not that easy and there's literally so much other things that come into play and what we are going to actually discuss today is probably one of the biggest factors why people do not get any closer to living a healthier lifestyle or even engaging in a healthier lifestyle because of what's going on potentially within their head and their mental health and how these things that you mentioned just now there's so many things that can affect a person's mental health, how that really does make people not be adherent to what you basically just said, exercise more, eat less. If weight loss is the goal, there's a lot more to it to that. So it'd be kind of good to kick this one off today, Lucy, because I know obviously throughout current times, the world's going pretty crazy at the minute, um, especially for the likes of yourself who owns a facility, how our, our, our lives have just kind of, changed overnight and we're all of a sudden working online 24 7 as opposed to actually coaching people face to face what have you been doing during this period of time to make sure people are still participating in exercise and what other things have you brought into your practices as a gym owner as a personal trainer to help people keep this going through times of uncertainty and times where there's so much stress going on within people's lives right now that fitness can become and quickly take a back seat. Yeah. Um, What we are doing right now, a lot of the stuff is not very different than the things that we've been doing this whole time. 
just because right now we're all going through this crisis together. So this added stress on people's lives that impact their livelihood. It's not necessarily new, like that situation is not new from person to person. So the things that we were already doing before is we provide people the ability to still move their bodies and still exercise, but it's not that big of a strain. So it's a little more on the restorative side of things, but it's still an experience that is, they find meaningful to go through because it takes a lot of attention. It's more like a yoga type of service versus lifting heavy and working out heavy. So we're able to bring the intensity down no matter how you're being affected by the pandemic or even before the pandemic, how you're being impacted by your work schedule or your autoimmune disease or your pain. So that's one thing is being able to bring the intensity down to the, uh, the training session. And then the other thing that we've added through the online Zoom classes are other opportunities for people to hop in that are more of on the low level side. So we have a movement break in the middle of the day, which is a 25 minute warm up that people can hop on, get to see people, get to see us, get to connect for at least a few minutes. And they just move on the ground, have a nice little warm up, and then they keep going on their day. And we added these extra opportunities just so people can get to see us. Cause right now everybody's socially isolated and they need connection more than ever. So not everybody can handle a really hard workout. So we thought, well, if we could get someone to log in once or twice a day, every single day, I think that could really improve their quality of life right now since they're so isolated. Yeah. There's been a lot of, kind of home workouts going on during this period of time a lot of people sharing and, and doing obviously zoom personal training sessions or zoom fitness classes for example and the element of those has been solely focused on kind of the aesthetic standpoint to kind of weight loss fat loss whatever that goal might may be but what I've what you seem to be doing which I like is going down the route of like you said taking down the intensity a little bit and focusing more on other practices that can actually help people's mental state as opposed to putting the focus on the physical aspects of training. Is, is that roughly what you're kind of aiming for at the minute with what you're doing with your clients? Yeah, and also adapting to what the person can handle at the time. And everybody handles stress differently and it manifests into negative side effects completely different from person to person. So some, one person that's extremely stressed can still handle workouts and go crazy in the gym. Like we have a client who can work 70 to 90 hours a week and still hit his three training sessions. But then we have another person when stress goes high, they start getting extremely fatigued where they can barely get out of bed. So giving people that opportunity that, hey, it's okay that you can't handle a hard workout. So it's okay to adapt to something lower on the lower intensity side, uh, but to being able to accept that. And that's probably the biggest goal with this is finding a way where people can continually be active and be physically active, but it's meeting them where they're at and what their capabilities are. Yeah, mixing up the type of training that you're offering as a, as a coach really, where you're doing one day where it might be more down the lines of more high intensity work, and then another day where you're solely focusing on some gentle work, whether it's breathing techniques, whether it's stretching, yoga, things like that, just to give the clients a little bit of a, a mixture, really, of what they actually want and what they actually do need during this period of time when stress is obviously through the roof for a lot of people. The chances are that doing too much types of a certain type of training, should I say, might not be the best thing for them right now at this period of time. But that's not really been the message I found with a lot of fitness professionals during this time. It has been all about use this time to get shredded, use this time to get lean. Let's go, let's go, let's go. As opposed to kind of understanding people are a lot more stressed now than what they are probably have ever been in their entire life. So if anything, the training really needs to be kind of taken down a notch or two, doesn't it? Absolutely. Unless the personal trainer suggesting all these things can take control of people's trauma, 
their financial situation, their support, their past experiences. Like unless the trainer can take control of the entire um, other factors that play in a role in someone's ability to exercise hard, then they shouldn't say those things because they don't, they don't know how people can handle it or mm -hmm. they don't know how to teach people how to be more resilient um, because they don't have control over all these things. So instead of putting their idea out there, they should figure out how to meet every person where they're at right now. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people um, kind of say things like they are feeling guilty during this period of time. And I used an example of one of my, my, my girlfriend's clients. I overheard a call with her the other day on the phone and she was saying how guilty she felt that she wasn't exercising as religiously as what a lot of people are during this period of time. And she was hopping on Instagram and she was hopping on all the other platforms and seeing everybody going crazy with the home workouts and doing X amount of yoga sessions a day, X amount of park workouts a day. And, and she felt a little bit overwhelmed and felt a little bit kind of disappointed in herself just because she went out for a walk that day. And I think that's something that's quite sad to hear that a lot of people and and now kind of putting exercise and what type of exercise they're doing on a on kind of like separating what exercise actually is and what it should bring to the table much more than it from a physique standpoint and what it does mentally from you and how comparing what such a body's doing to what somebody else is doing is the completely wrong way to go about it and I thought that would be something good to kind of touch upon today because have you felt like that have you felt like that whether in yourself or your clients have expressed this to you where they have felt a little bit kind of demotivated because they've seen everybody else going all guns blazing with their training. Um, I've actually felt that way for about three years. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's the negative sides of social media, right? It puts all these expectations on yourself and then you feel guilty because you're not meeting these unrealistic expectations. And I'm in the fitness industry and about three years ago, I started developing just debilitating fatigue and I felt guilty every time I would get online and I would watch someone with who has five kids. I have no kids. I have no responsibilities and five kids, a business owner still punching the clock and that's what they would, you know, or no matter how late it is, I'm here, I'm training at 11 p.m. And here I was, I couldn't even squat 20 pounds without getting fatigued and having to sit for five minutes. And I felt guilty for over two years. Like I was a fraud, that there was just something wrong with me, even though I was trying to do all the right things. And last year, about August, I just said, screw it. I'm just not going to train anymore. I'm going to do yoga because that's the only thing I can do. And I went to yoga class and that's when I realized what it really meant to adapt to your current needs and what it really means to say it's embrace that you can't train right now and it can't always be about training and being more open about it because I also didn't talk about it at all. And I realized just like the fitness industry was putting these fake or unrealistic expectations on me, I maybe was doing that for my clients. So when I realized that I started being way more open about it of, I didn't train for three months, three months. I didn't touch a weight because when a client misses two weeks because of a flare up or they just felt too tired and they start getting down on themselves. I'm like, I didn't touch a weight for three months. And then they are always so shocked. Like, but you're a trainer. I'm like, and I couldn't get out of bed. I was depressed and fatigued and anxious and I wasn't in a good place. So I send emails out and I tell people that they should never feel shame for coming back, that they should never feel shame that they just went off for about a, a year and didn't touch a weight and they totally let go of everything. Like no one should ever feel shamed about that. It should always feel safe to come back because I understand that it can't always be about being consistent in the gym. So I just trying to feel people or get people to feel understood. No, that's, that's, that's really a good point coming from yourself. Who's a trainer as well. And like you say, everyone will think that we are robots and that's certainly that I've, I've had that from a lot of my clients where 
they're really shocked at certain things that you say that you you've not done or you've done they, they can't really quite believe it but I think it's until they understand that they are not there's nothing wrong with them until they understand that this is how everybody is deep down even those that are actually in the fitness industry telling people to live a healthier life and actually this is our job to that still sometimes we can be affected just as much and in, in fact, in some cases, if not more, I would say, because we have this industry expectation of how we should be. And like you mentioned before, you, you felt a bit of a fraud because you wasn't lifting weights for a period of time, but you were still in the game teaching people to lift weights. And I think that's a really, it's a really interesting message and one that people can hopefully think, oh, I, I'll stop feeling bad then because my, my passion doesn't lie with fitness my job is not fitness but for us it is and sometimes we can still fall off the wagon yeah I mean it really got to me I and I already have an obsessive personality so I will obsess over things um but last year last winter I got to the point where I was telling our team I don't even want to sell results I'm like what do you mean Lucy because we're working on our marketing I'm like <laughs> I don't want to sell results because I can't sell someone, I'm gonna help you lose 20 pounds because I really don't know if I can do that. We are just a gym. I can't work on their sleep. What if they have sleep apnea? What if they have three autoimmune diseases? What if they have all this trauma and they can't afford a counselor? And I just like, I don't wanna sell results anymore. I just can't. <laughs> um, so I didn't go that route, but I did stay true to my, my values and my idea of what a gym should be and what people should expect out of a gym. And yeah, I just, I really want to redefine what it means to go to the gym and what it means to be healthy and work towards being healthy. What does that look like? Because most people, most in the general population think, if I join a gym, I'm going to have to work out hard. They're going to ask me to change my diet. They're going to ask me to do all these things. But the reality is if we want people to change long-term, it needs to be one slow step at a time. It needs to be working through your around your constraints and meeting you where you're at and being yeah, okay with it. Definitely. And even people who, who believe that to be healthy, they have to go to the gym. And sometimes when I say things like this, I feel like I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit because I'm actually a personal trainer in the gym. So but in theory, people, people do not necessarily need to go to the gym to live this healthy lifestyle like we're speaking about. And I've had it so many times where I've, I've had consultations with clients and I've actually had to say to them, it sounds like you don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to be in this environment. And that is absolutely fine because I don't blame you because this gym, this, these commercial gyms are full of idiots. And I actually don't blame you that you don't want to be around these vain people with um, the string vests on doing bicep curls in front of the mirror. I can kind of understand you don't want to be around it because I don't either. But it sounds like you had a passion for something else in, uh, earlier in life that you probably need to take up again, whether that's dancing or whether that's playing a certain sport or whatever that may be. It sounds to me that you had such a passion for something down the line that you need to re-engage with and take up again rather than necessarily coming to the gym because you've seen somebody on social media doing squats and you feel like you need to do squats to be healthier and happier. And that is certainly not the case. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe someone likes going rock climbing more and you, you only have so much time in the week. And if you have two hours in one week to develop or, you know, do something physical, you're, you should pick something that you enjoy. And if it's not the gym and if it's not lifting weights, as long as you're maintaining some level of strength and as long as you are challenging your tissue tolerance to get stronger, because it's, it's not good to be very deconditioned. So maybe yeah. going to the gym just enough to condition your tissues to be strong so you can do the things that you love. But yeah, definitely finding something that you enjoy and it doesn't have to look the same for everybody. Yeah, I spoke about that with Katie in the last podcast. I know that you listened to it when we spoke about training for performance and how that can impact people's mental health and mental state as well. Um, and kind of tailoring the lifestyle towards the, the thing that you're passionate about. Like you mentioned there, rock climbing. That For somebody, that could be their trigger to 
go to the gym to lift weights to get stronger at rock climbing. Um, the nutrition could be set around being able to feel physically fit and kind of recover from rock climbing. The sleep, focusing on sleep. I just had a Nick Lamon speaking about sleep yesterday where we discussed everything sleep, which was a really good episode as well. But again, focusing on your sleep. So when you do go rock climbing, you have the energy and you have the mental focus to be able to do it. And I think more and more people kind of had that mentality because um, fitness is supposed to be the beneficial for people's mental health. And that's kind of what we want to go into today. It's not supposed to be something that affects your mental health. And unfortunately, that is what a lot of people are doing these days is that adding to the current stress as it is by adding their health and fitness to that, to that bucket of stress that they already have when we know health and fitness done right can have proclaimed benefits on how we feel and everything about us. And, and the science is there to say how powerful and potent exercise actually is for the mind. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about the, the rock climbing and like finding that passion or finding the connection of why exercise might now be beneficial, why sleep might be beneficial, why eating. Um, Cause I think what you're saying there is really finding the purpose. It's like the yeah. purpose behind what you're doing. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing. They don't see the, the true purpose behind it. So they're not driven to even look into it or want to do it. So really finding purpose can really help you through this healthy journey. Find, finding, the, finding the purpose is without one of the best pieces of advice I've actually ever give anybody in the time that I've worked with people. If they don't have a purpose, and I always say when, when they sit down to talk to me and we go through the goals and things like that, and I'm sure you have had the same things, Lucy, where people fill out the forms way before you see them to find out about the goals and then you meet them and you talk about the goals. And um, in theory, I, the, word, the goals, I don't really like the word goals as it is really myself because I feel it's very cliche. It's very easy to kind of bypass the, the true reasons why you're doing something. And it's not until kind of you get to know someone, you can start to really see their purpose and bring that out of the individual rather than them just saying, oh, I just want to lose some weight. And then it's a case of, okay, I need to unpackage that a little bit more for, for that individual and find out the real reasons why they want to lose some weight. And once you start doing that, I found that's when the purpose starts to creep out of somebody where you can then really start to utilize what we do and what we're good at to really help them where it might be they need to lose some weight because they have been to the hospital and they've told them that they have type two, stage two, should I say hypertension something like that. So they need to bring the blood pressure down. They need to engage in some form of cardiovascular activity for that to happen, to live a longer life. And they want to add years to their life. The, the kid that they have is now, they're having a kid. So they want to be around long enough to be a grandparent and things like that. And that's when the purpose starts to be really powerful. And, and going back to what we're speaking about today, we're talking about the mental health side of things. It was it was one of my clients that I had recently. It, it took me a year to find out that he had really mental health issues with regards um, him coming to see me in the first place because he had a, a major accident um, at work that basically got run over by a forklift truck. So a forklift truck reversed into him and literally nearly took his leg off. This guy was... It was 50, it was about late 50s at the time. Um, so basically, he had to have a reconstruction of his leg. They had to take muscle out of his shoulder to reconstruct his calf and everything. It's crazy what happened. He had all pins in his feet. Long story, long story short, he always lived a quite an unhealthy lifestyle. He smoked, he, he drank and things like that. He was overweight. And that that happened to him at work. And that's what he came to me um, to, to tell me about originally that was the only thing he, he, he was talking about the injury how he was he couldn't walk anymore up a flight of stairs how he wanted to basically lose some weight and things like that and that was the only thing that he ever mentioned for one year and then it took a year where he said to me where we were randomly training he said to me I am I'm really happy now and I said oh what, what do you mean by that you're happy because you can 
you can walk again properly? Are you happy because you've lost, he's lost 80 pounds. Are you happy because you've lost 80 pounds? And he just said, no, I'm, I'm just happy. And I said, all right, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? And he was like, I, I, I never told you, but the biggest reason I came to see you wasn't because of my leg. It wasn't because of my weight. Obviously, these are contributing factors for what hindered his lifestyle to cause potential mental health problems. Um, he just said to me, I wanted to end my life for so many years until I found what I'm doing now with you. And now I have a purpose to live. And this is, this is literally what he said. I, I have now found a purpose to, to do this. And that reason is so, obviously, I don't do the unthinkable. Wow. And I just thought, it's, so powerful. That's an amazing story. But it all, like you said, it, it also points out that people are not talking about it. And didn't, he didn't mention it. And no. it's these struggles, these mental illness struggles or mental health struggles that everybody is dealing with, but everybody is dealing with in, in silence. And we, we uh, try to really push meditation on our clients. And that is one of the hardest things to get people to buy into, but it, cause we, we care about mental health and we, that was our way of trying to work on this stuff. And our way to work on other lifestyle stuff is through challenges and workshops and basically imposing our will on our clients, <laughs> just make them do the, the, the challenges. And we did the meditation challenge and it was, very eye-opening for me. It was a, a few months into me meditating and I was very open about my own struggles. And we went through and my cousin, who's a counselor, said, everybody go around and talk about what prevents you from being mindful. And I remember thinking, oh boy, no one's gonna answer. No one's gonna say anything, this is gonna be awkward. Um, and then no one was saying anything. So I went first and I said, one of the things that prevents me from being mindful is the ruminating. I will like, I should have said this. I would have, I could have said that I should have done this. And just like, I will go on a loop and then people started opening up and it was fearing of people dying, fearing of just like, I'm never doing enough. I'm just like constantly going through this and it's just like my to-do list and another person's like, I don't feel like I'm a great father. I'm not, I'm always worried about my family and just like really deep things. I wake up in the middle of the night and I just can't stop thinking and it won't stop. And I should have said this, I, this, the conversations just keep repeating and it got to all the way to the end. And I interrupt my cousin before she went and I pointed out, I don't know about you all, but every single person that went, I was like, yep, me too. Uh-huh. Yep. Same thing. Yep. And then everybody laughed. So I'm assuming that was like, yeah, I did that too. I'm like, but we don't talk about this. Like we don't talk, people say the stigma around anxiety and depression is a lot better, but saying anxiety and saying depression is not enough. Like what exactly are you struggling with? Like, is it the repeating thoughts of someone dying and you just like can't get over that thought over and over again and you feel like your mom actually died? Like that's the stuff that people aren't saying out loud. And I brought that to people's attention and then I wrote everybody an email that night because the question was, how do we get our kids to do this? Like, how can we prevent all of this from happening to our kids or their kids? I don't have kids. Yeah. And I was really thinking, and is it to tell them to meditate? Hey, Johnny, you really need to meditate. This is important because meditation is a behavior that we are now trying to establish as a coping mechanism to the stressors that we can't handle and we grow up learning behaviors from everybody from our society from our parents from the people we look up to so when we are tired we learn to go to sleep when we're hungry we learn to eat when we're sick we go to the doctor so as a society we have all these like similar behaviors and then we have different ones from culture to culture and family to family um, but what about when all of these struggles that people are not talking about, what about when that happens to me as a kid, what do I do now? When I start to have the repeated thoughts of people dying and losing my whole entire family, like, I don't know what to do because no one ever talks about it. 
They're like, mommy and daddy meditate when work gets really stressful. It's like when work keeps me up at night, I find that if I meditate 10 minutes a day, it really helps with that. Like we're not having those conversations. So everybody's struggling in silence. So when it starts to happen to us, we have no idea what to do. So we find a way to cope. And if we watch TV, how do they cope with mental illness? It's a pill. No one, no one on a novella or show or anything, and I say novella because I grew up in Guatemala, um, no one was meditating for 20 minutes a day. And like, you, you didn't see anything around mental illness and what people did for mental illness. And so I think it's a very important to talk about the specifics. And I talk about my obsessive behaviors of turning around every time I went to work to make sure I turned off my stove or calling my neighbor to check on my house obsessively because I thought I left the stove on or when I was suicidal last year and I would go three days, four days without talking to my loved ones and I would ignore everybody's calls or just sitting on the couch thinking of everybody dying. It's like we need to know the specifics because people need to, not, one, not feel alone and two, they need to learn what behavior to, to go towards. And I think as trainers, that's what we can do is we can help people behave a certain way around a lot of things. So when you are starting to feel super achy after sitting for eight hours, try to move. And that's like a change of behavior. So when you're starting to have, you know, stress at work, get a little higher. The behavior you can adapt is meditating 10 minutes a day. But really struggling in silence, I think, has kept people in the dark, making them feel like they're alone and making them feel like your client who can't bring those things up. And it's awesome that he felt better a year later, but how many of those people are we losing and how many of those people never find you and then just never get better? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When, when, when he said it to me, I, I was really like, I was obviously I'm really close to him. I've, you know yourself you get really close to your clients and it's something that um, a lot of people who are not in this what we do don't realize how close we get to our clients as as, as, as people as, as friends and the we see these people two three four times a week like we see them much more than what they probably see their own family so for me when when he said stuff like this it's it was really really kind of I was gutted when I heard him, heard him say that because you would never, obviously, you would never have thought it with him. Like, and I know that that's the case with most people is that they do, like you said, suffer in silence. They're not somebody that you would kind of think for one minute they was thinking that way. He's a very jokey guy, always got a smile on his face, always taking the piss out of me, things, everything like that. And for him to say that and just all of a sudden, out of the blues, tell me that he's happy and it wasn't to do with the fact that um, it was his leg or, or his weight. It was, it was obviously their contributing factors. Don't get me wrong. Like he felt more confident in his, in his skin and, and he could now walk. Whereas before he couldn't walk at all very far. And now he can. And we, and we know that obviously as a byproduct of walking, the impact that has on people's mental health through exercise, but just the fact that he just said, those words was just really, really nice to kind of hear and, and, and see. But like you said, there's a lot of people that don't get to that stage and, and, and they're the ones that are, who are really struggling, who don't, like you said, find something like a coach that can help them or at least guide them in the right direction. Or they've tried to do it on their own for many, many years and they've just not had somebody talk to them like we're speaking today to actually make them realize that there is so many things that you can do to improve your mental health through what we do through health and fitness and they just needed that guidance that direction to actually find something they loved and and that that's the sad thing isn't it really yeah and i think you brought up a really good point of the guy that you're talking about, you know, he's always smiling and it almost shocked you. And that's a really big thing. I was told by someone that they struggled understanding me or struggled feeling for me or not, not feeling sorry. Um, but I don't even know what the word is, but I, 
I was so good at work and I was so good at other aspects of my life that I had it so together that it was hard for them to understand that I struggled so much. Mm. It was hard for them to feel this understanding and compassion towards me because they, you just, you're so good at other stuff. <laughs> and yeah, that, and, and then not accepting that for me is what stopped me from getting help because I couldn't accept that I could be so good at something, but then struggle so much. And so many times, um, a message on social media would pull me out of like a meltdown or I'm just, I was struggling. And then someone would send me a message saying, wow, Lucy, thank you so much for that blog. It really changed everything. You really helped my career. And I would always like walk, read that and just be shocked. I'm doing great things in the world. Like I'm having a positive impact on people's lives, but then I'm just like so miserable. And then I would just shut off. And like those, these two people can't exist at the same time. And not accepting that was what stopped me from getting help. And I should have gotten help a long time ago. But I think people need to realize that people can be really good in certain aspects and not so good and struggle in other aspects. And really teaching you to have compassion towards those people. Because family and loved ones are definitely the ones that have to deal with those people. And it's, it's tough. They're not equipped Loved ones and family members and friends are not equipped to support someone who really struggles with mental illness, but a counselor and a therapist is because what these people need is support from someone that doesn't expect the support back. Yeah. And yeah. it's so hard and it's not their fault, but it's so hard to get that from other people in your life. So I almost think if you have to get it from a counselor and a therapist who's not expecting anything back because someone really struggling has nothing left to give yeah no, and that can also be a coach from a different perspective not going out of the scope of personal training but just being the support that doesn't expect things back yeah no totally it's the, like you said there it's the scope of practice that we do i've had quite a few clients that have had severe mental health issues and obviously they they thought that losing weight would be their savior that would be their answer to the, all their problems and don't get me wrong it massively contributes it for sure does when when somebody comes in and they lose a hundred pounds I've, I've, I've had clients that have done who've lost that much weight with me it changes their life completely but it doesn't completely override absolutely everything and that's what I say to them myself I say listen fitness is just a small piece of the puzzle to get you happy you need to look at other areas of your life as well that are contributing to this overall unhappiness that you have whether that's your work whether that's your, just your lifestyle in general your partner whoever it may be I'm not to say but don't rely on this is going to be your savior I'm going to help you do what you want to do and make you feel more confident and get you fitter and get you lifting some weights and feeling empowered, getting stronger. I know that's going to have a huge impact on your confidence as, a, as an individual, but there, there could be some underlying things there that you need to need to look at as well as, and I obviously being a personal trainer, that's not necessarily my job. If we can get rid of all your mental health issues just by coming and seeing me, Brilliant. That, that's unbelievable. I'm, I'm absolutely grateful for that. And I'm grateful that I've been able to help people do that. But there is some cases where I have said to individuals as well, that it lies a lot deeper than, than this. So there is times where you need to seek out obviously other professionals and things like that. Um, in terms of yourself, Lucy, when you was mentioning your own, your own um, issues there before with your own mental health, and just spoke about taking up yoga and meditation. Was that the thing that got you away from, or feel like it helped towards your, your mindset currently, um, being a lot better with your own mental health in terms of your own health and fitness, because you transitioned away from what you may have done in the past to this kind of different way of life or a different hobby, for example, within your health and fitness? Yeah, it started with, working with a, a physical therapist that got a lot into the trauma side of things and how trauma affects the body. Um, and then I can send you, his name's Seth Overs. And okay. it started with me taking his course because he take or he teaches courses for personal trainers and physical therapists and therapists. And it 
10 minutes within his course, I realized I needed him. And it's about how the body holds on to trauma and how trauma can affect you as you grow older. And so I started working with him one-on-one and he was the first person that made me realize that I was doing the best that I could because I always felt guilty for self-medicating. I mean, I would, I would smoke weed from the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed and I felt really guilty about that. But he was the first person that changed my perspective of I did the best that I was doing. No one ever taught me how to cope. So I picked something. And after all the traumatic events that I had gone through over the last few years, and then even within my childhood, it's like those things affected you know, how I was acting. So being able to accept that I wasn't doing it because I was a bad person or lazy or just not strong enough that I was doing the best that I could. And that was my, that was like my biggest turning point was having someone understand me and say, it's okay. You haven't, you know, you didn't act the way you did because you're being spiteful or a bad friend or a bad lover or a bad person. Uh, You were doing the best that you could. And then taught me how to take responsibility over my own healing. So yes, all these things happened to me and I was doing the best I could, but there is a way out through my personal growth. So working with him one-on-one was one of the things that we do. And he works a lot on the body and how the body responds. And he would be a better person to ask about all this stuff. But then I also got into meditating with myself. So 20, 30, 40 minutes of building a meditative practice, which is something that I'd always start, but then not finish. And I think people really attach meditation to like a certain result. So they think maybe five sessions in all of a sudden they start to feel more calm. (laughs) And that's not how meditation works. Meditation is more, if you do it consistently for two months, you look back at your life and realize, wow, I am different. Wow, I'm, I have more tolerance. I don't have that much anxiety right now. So it's not something you just notice. You're like, I'm calmer now. It's something that you have to do consistently. And then you notice the difference over time, which is really hard to sell. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And, and it's something that you notice when you stop doing it. A month later, you see, oh, shit, this was affecting me. It was making me better. I didn't realize how much it was helping me now that I stopped. So it's a weird thing because it's weird to sell or get people to do it just because it doesn't have that instant result. So meditating myself. And then when I was still dealing with the fatigue last year, I started doing yoga and I used to bash yoga. I thought it was dumb. Uh, Didn't think it was useful, but as soon as I started taking it, I realized the power of being able to be present for a whole entire hour through movement, just being able to pay attention to my body and what I was feeling and feeling in my body through movement and the benefits of that. And when I experienced that, I realized that our training in the gym was very similar to what I was experiencing with yoga because we are very detailed. We coach things a certain way. And I realized that when people did an hour long warm up when they had an autoimmune flare up or a pain flare up, when I said I would bring the intensity down, I realized that maybe the reason why they felt so good after that was because they meditated for a whole hour. For a whole hour, they really paid attention to their body because I'm on them. Like, keep tucking, keep reaching, pay attention to this. So I realized maybe it's not all about posture and position and exercise. Maybe it's just that I taught them how to pay attention to their body for a whole hour and I made them more mindful. Um, so that's, that's been my journey and the therapist that has helped. I did the online therapy for a month or so, but now I see a therapist in person um, every other week. And that has helped a ton, just having someone guide me through what to do and someone I respect. Because one of the things that I've recently done over the last few months is being able to change my thoughts, which is something that a lot of people who deal with mental illness get told, just be more positive, 
just look at the good things. Like you, you're totally exaggerating the negative things and you're forgetting the positive or the what ifs and the catastrophizing. And it's something that I've always been told to just change. You're asking yourself the wrong questions. Just be grateful. And I never understood how people could do that. I really tried. I tried really hard and I still couldn't get out of my negative thinking. But since I built this meditative practice, I have been able to actually change my thoughts. And I feel like now I'm the person that I used to hate who is like, I'm so grateful and I find the positive in things, but I really did work my way to get to that point. And now I see why people can be that way. But I don't think a lot of people talk enough of how hard it got or how hard it was to get to that point. To be able to have a catastrophic thought, and I'll give you the example of my mom and grandma, who are both at, both at risk of dying from COVID. So the first week we shut down, of course, mom's dead, grandma's dead, my clients are dying, this is going to be the worst thing in the world, I'm going to lose my business, it was not doing well. And my cat was about to have major surgery and I thought she was dying. Um, I was able to take that thought of my mom and grandma dying and being able to accept that I was having that thought. And then I was able to investigate that thought like, okay, and challenge myself, challenge my own thoughts. Well, is that really true? Are they really sick right now? No, they're not even sick. Plus they can get it and still be okay. Here's a percentage rate. Even if they're at risk, it does not mean that they're going to die. So like, don't even get to that point. Don't even get to the point of dying because they haven't even gotten sick. So don't even get to the point of being sick because they haven't even gotten there. And then I'm able to change that thought and say, everything's going to be okay. There's no need to worry about this right now. You're doing everything that you're, they can. They're doing everything that they can. They're not going out. They're quarantined. And then I was able to talk myself out of that catastrophic thought and be fine the rest of the day. And that blows my mind that I'm able to do that. Um, this time last year, no way. But it is possible to get to that point. So it's been through my therapist, Seth Obert's work, and me really paying attention to my meditative practice and making that a big priority. Brilliant. It's really nice to hear. Are you doing the same kind of um things with your training now that lucy in terms of that going back to kind of like what you're doing for your own kind of fitness at the minute is it is yoga very much the the main factor with that are you kind of sprinkling in other bits of stuff to kind of get you close to whatever your goal may be right now and that'd be good to kind of share how you're approaching your health and fitness right now um taking into consideration the importance of the mental aspects of it all as well yeah, before we shut down, I was doing yoga about once or twice a week. And then I was going to a gym. My fatigue has been so much better over the last five, six months. And I was going to a gym to strength train, train once or twice. Um, I do tend to overdo it. I get really excited because I feel good. So then I overdo it in the gym and then I get a little bit of a fatigue flare up. Um, but since I have no access to a gym, or I feel bad training at my gym since we locked our clients out. Um, now I walk twice a day and then I have weights at home where I will do about a 20 minute workout and allow myself to keep going if I feel really good. But that's, that's about it now is I'm making the walking a very consistent thing. I'm trying to get my resting heart rate lower just because most people with anxiety tend to have a higher resting heart rate. So if I can bring my resting heart rate down, and this is me just experimenting with myself, uh, maybe I can also handle my anxiety a little better as well. That's training for a purpose, isn't it? Like we spoke about, that's a really, really good way to look at it. Like you said, I'm doing this because it's going to reduce my resting heart rate. I'm not going out for a run or doing any training for any other reason other than to bring my resting heart rate down and ultimately bring my anxiety down which will ultimately affect the way that you think which is the most powerful important thing that we could ever discuss and and what like you said doesn't get discussed enough just just rewinding a little bit lucy because i really like the point that you made where you said about doing the best you could I think that's something that is a really good point to make because when people do come to us and they are feeling 
guilty about certain things, whether they, like going back to when I mentioned before, people feeling guilty about simply going for a walk and that they didn't train like somebody does on Instagram. And they, they could say this to themselves, you did the best, you're doing the best you could. And it's the same when people have, obviously without going into a rabbit hole about nutrition, but when people do have kind of binge eating tendencies or emotional eating tendencies and they are reaching to something that's a comfort, they have an uncomfortable feeling and it's the food that they go towards, but it's kind of helping them understand that they basically was doing the best they could to get rid of that uncomfortable feeling. And it's just kind of replacing that with something else to ultimately, that's going to basically be more in line with their, health and fitness goals from a body composition standpoint, weight loss or muscle gain, whatever their goal may be. Yeah. I would say the goal would be to be able to look at yourself and your past and be proud versus ashamed and guilty. Um, Cause I'm proud because I knew what alcohol did. I remember one time I had a really bad day at work. Cause I, I don't really drink just like to have a drink. I, I will drink maybe every two months and I will have too much to drink every two months, but I never have like a glass of wine or with dinner, like I don't have alcohol in the house. But I remember one time I had a glass of wine and I had a really stressful day. And after that glass of wine, I said, whoa, now I know why people drink. Now I know why parents drink at night. Just that one glass of wine, like that took that away. And I never got into that. I never started drinking and I, I didn't kill myself. I was able to hold my job. I was able to hold this, the teaching position. I was still able to teach all over the place. So when I look back now, which took a long time to get to this point, I'm really proud of myself that I was able to get to this point and proud that I, it wasn't worse. 100%. I think it would be good to go into now, Lucy. It's something that I really wanted to ask you about, actually, because obviously with what's going on at the minute, um, a lot of people obviously stuck at home and basically don't have access to a gym and they no longer have access, not just to a gym, but to even their hobby that they may have been doing or a sport that they played. And all of a sudden we, we don't have access to, to, to be able to do that. What are your what are your kind of thought processes behind how to actually people can help themselves through this period of time and what you might do with clients who say they do have a hobby of doing something X amount of times per week and now they're not able to do that as such because of what's happening. What is what is your kind of approach to those type of people and what do you recommend that they can do and things like that without necessarily being guilty because they can't do what they've been doing for x amount of time yeah great question i would say with that and i took this from my friend dave rasco is just make sure that you're not doing the all or nothing and that you're doing the always something so someone may look at their life right now and notice all the different things that they're not doing that they wish they were doing that they should be doing and then they think that they need to do it all And then what ends up happening is that they actually don't do any of it and they do nothing. So at this moment is just picking one thing, one small realistic thing that you can stick to that either will make you feel better or make this time a little better on you. So whether it's to make you feel better because you're feeling awful and you're in pain and you're tired. So like what's that one thing that you can do to push the needle towards a direction of health? Or what's something that you can do that will make this time better and more enjoyable or more calming? And that could be like a ritual or pick up a book and give your time some time for some downtime. Um, So that looks different on everybody because everybody's handling this very differently. But the big thing for everybody would be one thing at a time, just one little thing versus looking at all the things that you think you should be doing because then you won't do any of it. Yeah, there's many ways to do what we've been speaking about a lot when you spoke about meditation in general. Have you found people struggle doing certain types of meditation? And is there anything else that you can kind of say that's very similar that some people can kind of do if they've never really got into the whole meditation side of things? I know I did it for quite a while, and I, but I probably, like you said, didn't do it long enough. But I find my 
meditation, should we say, or even just kind of switching off from everything else in life is I love a long walk. I, that is basically my meditation, essentially, where I'm just switching off or even where I go and listen to an audio book or something like that. Just something that even that's not work related, well, especially work related, something that's completely different to what I would ever listen to any other time just to switch off the best I can. What have you, what, what some of the practices that you have experienced or you, your clients have experienced if they are not necessarily somebody who feels like they can solely put all the focus into meditation? Because like, like with anything, some things people enjoy, some pe- things people don't enjoy. So it's about finding what people can obviously stick to that actually helps them. And I think it, there's a lot more to meditation in itself than what people think it is. Yeah, no, um, it definitely takes a lot of experimenting to see what you're into and what you're not. Um, if you're not spiritual at all, you probably will get very turned off by meditation that does have a spiritual aspect to it or chakras and things like that. So, um, with our meditation challenge that we did, we allowed people to experiment with different ways of being mindful because it doesn't even have to be just meditating. Like you said, you love going on a long walk. So that can be a mindful experience. So what people, what we encourage people to do is to experiment with those things. And that could be learning a new skill like dancing or taking a Tai Chi class online or looking up a yoga class. If you've never tried yoga, Uh, People who are very successful with that are people who are ex-dancers and gymnasts, ballet, uh, people who are flexible. And I would suggest, like, if that's you, you would probably really enjoy yoga. And if you're not flexible and you can barely get on the ground, you would probably maybe enjoy things more like Tai Chi. That's more towards your level, just learning something new that brings you to the present moment. Uh, When it comes to meditation, I am really loving Sam Harris. Um, I think he takes the woo-woo out of meditation and he has a course. I think I'm 22 days in They're between 10 to 13 minutes, uh, his initial course. And he does what we just talked about and it's give purpose because it's like a a mini lesson with every meditation of how important it is or how it's going to help you in your life. And I catch myself thinking, Oh, this is good. Like I want to do this. Um, And then every lesson gives you something a little different, a different type of meditation. So he's giving you a taste of all these different things versus doing the same meditation for 30 days. So there's a novel experience there, which I think keeps people hooked because it is a little different each time. So I think that I would suggest he would be the perfect person to start with because it's a little different every time. It gives you a lesson of why it's important. He has a really good podcast on the app and he doesn't give you these like weird woo-woo. Like you, you enter this like beautiful, blissful meditation state. I'm like, what does that even mean? Um, so he gives you more of like what's really going on. Like you're training your brain to pay attention. Like we've lost our ability to hold our attention without getting distracted, without ruminating, without thinking of the past, of the future. So that's all you're doing with meditation is training your brain to pay attention. And that's a skill like any other skill, learning how to cook, learning how to drive. It's very hard at first, but then you end up getting to it. Um, So just like anything new, it's hard to do at first. No, that's um. I'll I'll check check him out because I'm I'm certainly one of those people, Lucy, where I don't kind of get the all woo woo stuff. I can't get myself into that into that place, and I'm sure a lot of people can, and a lot of people can as well. Um, and it's just kind of finding that next best thing for individuals because I do also know on the flip side of this, meet a lot of people who kind of try to force meditation as well on themselves or even not just meditation but anything on themselves try to force it on themselves because they believe that's what they need to do to control their life or improve their life and force a certain type of exercise even on themselves or even a way of eating on themselves because that is what's been portrayed as quote-unquote healthy and that that can 
also have quite a negative effect on some people trying to live a different life to what they are. And it is about obviously finding what you want to do and going back to what we said before, your own purpose rather than what everybody else perceives as healthy or not healthy. Yeah, yeah. And then being open to experiment. And if it doesn't work out, it's not a failure. And that's another thing that I, I, I want clients to embrace is failure. It's if you try a diet or if you try a routine or morning routine and it doesn't work, that does not mean you failed. Like as long as you just try again. And that's the same with meditating, exercising, everything that you do. Try it. If it doesn't work, maybe it wasn't the right thing. So being yeah. embracing failure is important to finally find something that you do enjoy. Because if you give up after the first two times, if I would have given up after the first two times, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, no, that's um, that's it, isn't it? It's, it's sticking with with the with the cause really, and and kind of pushing through with something to actually see the benefits. Just like with exercise, when people start the gym, they're not going to essentially lose the weight in the first week. They have to keep this a thing for a period amount of time, especially for people that there's a lot of behaviour change needed within within their life, and there's a lot of psychological limitations going on for that individual. It can be a very long long process and I, I i i can't help but think during during these current times a lot of people are missing out on the going to the gym and participating in these activities like we spoke about and how that's really potentially affecting people as well where i obviously I, not just from a business standpoint for myself and, and i'm sure for yourself but for, for people's mental health as well the fact that the gym closures and all these things because not everybody can train at home and not everybody wants to train at home and if they did and they did have the home gyms like some people are lucky enough to have and the equipment or not just knowing what to do then me and you wouldn't necessarily be in a job and no one else would be so it's very easy for people in the fitness industry to be saying oh we can adapt to this it's easy just train at home go outside do this do that but there is a lot of people who have had it taken away from them and that's something that's quite sad to see in all this isn't it it's that with covid going on it's obviously a big focus and a big problem but there's also a lot of people that are struggling with mental health issues through this time that's not really said on on television or on the news and you're not hearing about people that are taking their own life because they might not have been able to do what they've been doing for a period of time where they've been locked in the house for two months that's even a week for some people that's enough to take them over the edge if they don't have these things in their life isn't it it is yeah it's a client brought up how her counselor or therapist said you know everybody is going through a trauma right now and if you think of any other traumatic events like if something traumatic happens to me today you're not going to expect me tomorrow to work on all this stuff or not be sad and not be affected by it. So just yeah, being, being able to find ways to support yourself right now versus trying to be okay right now. Like you don't take me, for example, and say, Lucy, just be, I know you went through this yesterday, this traumatic event, but just try to be okay. Mm -hmm. like that wouldn't work. So right now I think we all have to, find a little more compassion towards ourselves and not always be okay right now and be okay with that. No, definitely. Definitely. I think that was a really good discussion. Lucy, have you got anything more that you'd like to add? I'm sure we could have gone on all day about this stuff, but it's, I'm hopefully there's some really good points that people could take away from this one today and actually, um, understand the importance of this and when you're speaking about doing the best you can not feeling guilty all those are things a little bit about your struggles and how you overcome it that can hopefully and will for sure inspire some people to to take on take this on board and actually make a change in their own life and hopefully get them closer to where they want to be with their own mental health yeah i think the only thing that i would add because this is for people not who are trainers, right? Your audience? Yeah, pretty much. Um, mostly general population. That's basically who I work with. Trainers do obviously listen to this as well. But fundamentally, I want to help the people that are really struggling with, with all aspects of health and fitness, not 
people like myself and and you but even like we mentioned before we we've not got it sussed anyway but people that are really don't have a clue about anything regarding this and, and give them the education so yeah it's it's definitely just all for general population awesome yeah so the only thing i would add for them is just to remember that even beyond this pandemic when we get through this like people still go through stuff you're still going to go through stuff and that will affect your ability to train and it is possible to find trainers like you and other people that consider all those other aspects. So if you failed and you feel like you're just not capable of ever exercising or having a healthy lifestyle, it like might not be your fault. You just haven't found someone that meets you where you're at and takes you from there. So there is hope because a lot of trainers and practitioners and even people in other industries do see what we see. Um, so not blame yourself yeah we, we see it a lot don't we and as personal trainers we sometimes are kind of psychologists in a way but we, we do spend a lot of our time speaking to clients and they're sharing their problems with us and we we obviously do the best we can to to help them kind of get in a better place with with everything and, and definitely mental health is for sure something that we often face every single day of our lives not what not just like yourself for your own own mental health but for clients as well so no that was brilliant lucy do you want to just let the listeners know where they can find you um and link them to your stuff because i'm sure they can check that out and it'd be great to send some people your way if, if they are looking to make this change yeah uh, my website is coachlucyhendricks.com and I do take people through mindful movement, if that's something they're interested, if someone wants to build like a movement practice, if yoga didn't work for them, or if they're just too scared to try things, I teach people how to have like a, a five to 10 minute movement practice each day, and I can do that online. Um, and you can also find me right now at the Female Fitness Alliance, that I will be talking more about this if you do have any trainers interested, but even people who are not trainers, because it's gonna be about mental health, it's gonna be about adapting your training to when these things happen, so if anyone's interested in that. And then my social media, my Instagram and Facebook. Brilliant, thank you very much for that, Lucy, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on, this was really good. No problem, take care. Thank you for listening to the Fat Fix podcast and I hope you all enjoyed today's show. If you have not already, please make sure you subscribe and you don't miss out on any future episodes. I also can't stress enough how much it means to me to those that have left me a star rating and written review on iTunes. This will ultimately help me reach more people like you and really help them too. So please give me two minutes of your time to do this if you haven't already. Lastly, any shares and mentions on social media is also massively appreciated. I will see you very soon for the next episode. Thank you very much.